0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment podcast.
1: Podcast. Folks, this is a podcast that's purpose is for Georgia judges or anybody else who might be interested in what goes on in the courtroom. Please understand that we are Georgia focused, meaning that we're going to focus our attention on issues that arise under Georgia law. But occasionally we will get into some subjects of common interest. And we really appreciate you folks listening.
0: And as we go to the studio audience, we ask, please hold your applause till the end. All right. Now to the studio.
1: Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And Tane, today's topic, um, probably it came from some of our listeners. You remember?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things we've reached out and said folks send us a topic and implementing a case management system was one of the responses that came back and it's actually a topic I didn't send it in but it's near and dear to my heart because my county is currently in the midst of implementing its very first case management system yeah I know hard to believe but 1970 we're
1: finally
0: gonna get one. yeah we got 70s technology we're about to get it's awesome but we've got a great guest to talk to us about the implementation of those systems. Who we got today, Wade?
1: My buddy and our 10th district uh, court administrator, DCA. Mr. T.J. Bement, T.J., thanks for being back here and sharing some more of your expertise and talent, and showing how wide-ranging the skills of DCAs are across our state.
0: T.J.'s got
1: the rank now
0: of FOP, doesn't he? Friend of Podcast.
1: Oh, uh, I was going a different place, but yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> do, do I get that when I've been on more than one?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 designated as a friend of the podcast now.
1: T.J., I I want to brag on you a minute before we talk about
2: uh, case management systems. Wait, they- Let me be clear, this is recorded, so my wife will hear that, right?
1: Yes, (laughs) absolutely. So that will double our listenership,
2: which will be awesome.
1: You are the current president, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the organization.
2: Yes, I'm the current president of the National Association for Court Management. So it is a professional organization of folks within court administration and the management of our court system, uh, we've got about 1,800 members uh, nationwide, uh, and we represent the the greater community of court professionals, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10,000 or so of us.
0: I wasn't sure where Wade was going there, and I was afraid you were going to disappoint our listeners by saying, yeah, I'm president of my homeowners association, all 30 houses in my neighborhood.
1: No, no. You know, TJ is really, he's got a mad skill set, and, and we've learned that earlier when we talked about how to build a courthouse. But now let's talk about how you might implement a case management system. Before we begin, and TJ, let's make sure we're talking the same lingo. And I've got to only, the only way I know to do it is to use my own experience. We have ICON in the Augusta Circuit. And that keeps up with cases that are filed, and we can look up pleadings if on a computer and, and things of that nature
2: is that a case management system? Yes and no. It depends on how you use it. So um, I make a differentiation between a docket management system and a case management system. So we'll, we'll start with a docket management system. That is a document comes in, it gets filed in a clerk's office, it gets scanned and it gets recorded and a clerk enters some information about that document. So that you know that it was a motion for such and such and it was filed on whatever date and here is the next action on it likewise that docket management system will docket events that happen in the life cycle of a case a hearing a trial a disposition etc um what changes over something to become a case management system is really then what is the functionality of that system to do more than just Input that things got filed or that events happen. If you're then able to use that system to automate mm-hmm. scheduling of cases, um, to pop up reminders and notifications for things when things didn't happen or things didn't get filed by a certain date, et cetera, and that other things sort of happen, uh, whether it's case reporting and uh, information about you know age of pending caseload, et cetera. When you get into that realm, that's when you transition a system into being a case management system.
1: Tane, what sort of factors did y'all consider when looking at a case management system? Was that something the judges were involved with or your court administrator or your DCA? How how did that work?
0: Well, all of the above. Um, We had to work. We put together a, a, a committee of what we consider to be the key stakeholders, starting with the county IS, uh, the information systems personnel, uh, the, you know, the technology people for the county to make sure that we put in and implemented a system, first of all, that was cost effective. Secondly, uh, we had to get some nerds in the room so that, you know, they could talk the language of the people we would be hiring. But also, um, we wanted to make sure that we were getting something that had the functionality that could interface with what the county had and, and uh, you know, that that made sense to bring in, um, given what the infrastructure was that was already existing. So, so we had them, uh, we had the clerk's office, uh, because obviously they're going to be inputting data that's going to go into the system, uh, they're going to be utilizing the system along with us, um, and they're going to you know, need certain functionality in that system as well, and then the judges were involved in that uh, in that process because there were certain things we wanted the system to be able to do that we can't currently do. My friend David Emerson is always throwing in my face how easily he can tell me what his current case count is and how many cases he's cleared and what he has on his current docket and all those things that I can't pull up at the touch of a of a button. And uh, so we wanted those things for us, uh, and then we also brought in some. Some other people. I mean, obviously the the county manager and and some of the people who were going to be involved in in making sure that you know it was feasible, uh, it wasn't going to be uh, overly uh, cost, uh, you know, it wasn't going to be cost prohibitive and and those sorts of things. So a lot of people, we got a lot of people's input in the in the initial phases of our system. But TJ, who are other people uh, that might be stakeholders or folks that need to be brought in in that process? Sure.
2: Um- it really depends on who's going to use the system. Um, you know, years ago when we would create a system, we would have a system that everybody used. Uh, we called those sort of the the Cadillacs that, um, everybody used it. And, uh, we're still using it. Um, and I think in, in your County there, Judge Kell, um, you know, your County created, I think the system that you all are using right now, your old system, and it was done in house. Um, there, are a lot of sort of those legacy systems out there, whether they were built locally or, you know, something commercial off the shelf. But a lot of our courts are using the same underlying system that runs utility billing and also tracks their court cases. For, uh, for those
0: and- of you who know something about the history of technology, I believe our current system is a DOS-based system, which uh, I believe was one of the very first <laughs> um, computer systems that was out there so we we
2: have you built Uh, one of my courts and so it it still is is using an old mainframe system it's COBOL. wow remember back to your I haven't heard that in a long time i I haven't heard that when i was in computer class as a kid and they're like here's the language systems of computer and COBOL. it's like yeah the, the, the developers that code that stuff don't even aren't even around anymore right Um, So there are those systems that were basically just fancy databases, and that's really all behind the scenes a case management system is. It's just a database of tables of data uh, linked with one another with a friendly user interface on top of it. So, Um,
1: TJ, if (laughs) Tane pointed out something that I think we need to talk about, I don't know what a case management system is capable of, so I don't know necessarily what I want it to do how do I know what my capabilities are and what my, I guess my reasonable capabilities are?
2: Sure. Um, so I think in, in some of the materials that you'll uh, point folks to later, there are some white papers and guides and stuff that will outline what are the components of a case management system. But I'll, I'll quickly just run through the list and then you all may wanna chat about one or two of them. When you look at the major functions of a case management system, You know, what we started off talking about case case initiation and indexing. So anytime a document is filed in the clerk's office, logging that in. Uh, Docketing, that's the events and when documents come in. Scheduling, again, another event piece. Um, Another thing that some CMSs do, some don't, is document creation. So if a document comes in and, say, a complaint is filed in a civil case, does a scheduling notice or something go back to the parties telling them to do something in the past a clerk or someone in the judge's office would create that document by hand you can have your cms once the initial information is entered automatically generate that spit it out and you put it in the mail or sometimes it may now be even electronically sent um, then there's the calendaring feature you know booking events out into the future uh, scheduling of hearings dispositions would all be recorded um, then you've got sort of the post-disposition, call that compliance. You know, are people paying the fines? Is probation uh, being accounted for? Um, is there, you know, jail time or prison time, et cetera? And then there's a whole receding and bookkeeping function, um, which in a lot of places until recently are often done by secondary systems. But now that is part and parcel of a good case management system. And then you've got records management that tells you, where is that case file on the shelf or where is that box? What is the box number? What is the uh, the book number, the ledger number where that hard copy might be? And then you get into some of the latter functions that a good CMS has, which is all your management functions. That's your reporting um, and security and, and everything as well.
1: So, Tane, tell me this. Seriously, you until this you you can't go hit a couple of buttons and determine what your current pending caseload is.
0: I'll tell you how antiquated the current system is that we have in Cobb County. And I'm I'm somewhat embarrassed to say it, but I'm also, I'm giving us as an example of how things are and how they need to change in many jurisdictions. I currently am in the process of trying to find what cases need to be closed. I do this uh, once or twice a year. And in order to do that, I had to get a 3000 page printout from the clerk's office. And we have to manually go through that. And it's a printout of every case that's assigned to me and the, essentially the docket that goes along with that case to see when the last time an order was filed in that case, um, now I can go on, I can go online and get one case <laughs> if I know the name of the case or the case number or or the parties or something like that. I can go into the system and and pull up information about that case, but I can only do it one case at a time. I can't go through and look all of those things up from my from my desk. So. Uh, anyway, that's that's where we are, and that's why we're moving to the future. With,
2: we we uh, feel management. your pain. That's, uh, that's common in a lot of these legacy systems that are out there, there or even older systems that um, you really have to have a robust reporting mechanism and, and make it easy to use and accessible for your judges so that you can look up stuff yourself, and in, in whether it's an aging caseload report or I want to see everything – that had this type of event happen, but this follow-up action has not happened. You know, you know, fill in your blanks with whatever sort of question you want to ask. You should be able to ask that very easily of your CMS and get a list that is then usable for
0: you. Yeah, yeah. Because for example, in the current case system that we that we don't have, um, unless someone sends me a courtesy copy of a motion for summary judgment, I don't know that a motion is pending. And so we've had people call us and say, hey, this motion's been pending for four months and the judge hasn't ruled on it yet. Why? And we said, because we didn't know it was out there. We didn't know it had been filed. So anyway, that, that, that's, that's why we need a system. That's why all the jurisdictions need something to help us with that.
1: TJ, we have some judges that we lo- know and love who are a little technology averse. They just don't get it. They don't want to get it. They, what's wrong with the way we used to do it, et cetera. How do you help some of those judges understand the potential from a case management standpoint, from a case clearance standpoint, from a justice standpoint? I, I don't know what, what usually works sort of the best. How do you help them comprehend what a CMS could do for you, <laughs> what, what a CMS is capable of?
2: Yeah. There's, you know, you, you always have to look at who's in the room and who you're talking to. Um, and I, I like to approach it from sort of the happiness quotia. Um, are you happy with what you're doing as a judge? Do you feel stressed? Do you feel like you have a handle? Do you feel like you know what's going on with your caseload? Wait, and, are you
1: talking to me personally?
2: I, I could be. Well, <laughs> Yes, you I feel
1: stressed. Yes. I would like to know more about my caseload. Yes. right.
2: Then, then the answer is what, You know, we start going through a series of questions of, well, what's bothering you? Is it that, you know, parties are showing up for events that they're not prepared for, or that they haven't fulfilled some obligation that was put on them, whether it's discovery or sharing of documents or whatever it may be? Is that the frustration? Is it that you feel that you have too many open cases and you're not closing things out? Or, you know, Judge Kell's example is a party contacting you and saying, why I am mean, you ruled on X? And the answer was, I didn't even know I had X on my plate. So it's really sort of identifying what are those pressure points and then saying, how can we get that information out of our case management system? Is it a matter of running some reports? Is it a matter of setting some ticklers up so that it pops and gives you alerts or notifications? We have that on our phones and our computers now, every, you know everything you know, electronic using those kinds of things to help bring things to your attention so that you can readily address it. Are
1: we to a point in 2020 where you're probably going to buy CMS in a box that and, and turn on features and turn off features or buy features and not buy features when you buy it versus having somebody sitting down ready to write code to rewrite the whole thing? We're probably buying it in a box, aren't we?
2: we are if you're having folks write code these days for a case management system um, god bless you um, and good luck Um, most everything these days is what we call a cots a commercial off the shelf Um, you're buying a product you're not buying that product that we talked about from years ago that also runs your utility billing and your water billing and also runs your court you're buying a system that is dedicated and designed from the ground up to support the work that you do in the courts now, most systems are going to come with a number of those functionalities built in, the ticklers and the docketing and the document creation and some standard reports. Uh, this is where you, you ask yourself those hard questions of what else do you want the system to do? Um, a lot of these, these systems that you might buy these days may not have some of that functionality, but the case management industry has been moving to what's called the court component model, um, which is basically saying there are discrete functions that you do in the life of a case, docketing, event entry, ticklers, etc. cetera. And the industry has created some standards around these. And many systems will have these different functions, but they have ability for other sort of third-party pieces to plug in and connect to them to do something. A great example is dispute resolution. Now, you all as judges, you're in the business of dispute resolution with you as the judge, as the try or a fact in a bench trial, or with your juries in a jury trial. But we have alternative dispute resolution using mediators, um, or what a lot of places are going to, to today, online dispute resolution, like what you see on eBay and Amazon when you don't like something and the automated system goes back and forth until the system is, is resolved. There's no humans on that, usually until the very end and somebody hits accept. So there are systems like ODR and things like that that are a third party that might connect to your system and might exchange data um, with your system and push and pull information out of your case management system. So lots of plug and play these days.
1: Once upon a time here locally we there was a great deal of talk before the, the one of the one of the crashes, I think it was the 0809 era. there was conversation about something called JDX. And the way it was sold was that the data that the sheriff's department puts in on the date of the incident versus how it's reframed with the clerk versus how it's reframed by the judge's staff. Why are you doing that? Why don't you just pull the addresses and phone numbers and whatnot from the night of the incident as as inserted by the sheriff's office and pull that all the way through to the conclusion, wow, how many man hours would that save? Well, the, the thing that would, it was almost sold as if the sheriff's office is speaking Italian and the clerk's office is speaking English and the judge's system is speaking Spanish. They, they have some similarities, but they don't they don't natively all speak to one another, so the JDX was almost like a translator that it would translate all of that language and develop one common. I guess it would take all that di- those different data entries and make it into something that is usable by everyone. Is that fair? Is that is that what JDX is?
2: A little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you just a little bit on that. So you are right that there is potential huge time savings from not having to repeat data entry. So somebody is arrested by law enforcement. They then get booked at the sheriff's office. They then do get their initial bond from magistrate court. That case then gets bound over to state or superior court. That person then goes to jail or in a felony case then goes to prison. Everybody is entering that exact same defendant information each time. That's a minute, that's two minutes, that's five minutes, et cetera. How much time can you save over the life cycle of a case times thousands of cases in the state of, well, if that initial arrest information gets entered and verified, can that piece be sent to the next stage? And then that next entity just adds on the data that they're responsible for, and then it moves on. And there are verifications and checks along the way with hard copies and things like that. That is the the purpose of data exchange or JDX is to push the data from point A to point B to C, et cetera. And then back to those entities, because your sheriff's office wants to know what the disposition is on a case. And are they on probation
1: and what's the status of their probation? probation
2: or Department of Corrections wants to know the information on what is the sentence on this individual that's going up to the state prison system for 10 years. So all those kinds of folks, everybody wants a piece of the data. That is the data exchange. The complicating factor is what you noted is everybody had their own systems and still does. Those systems don't speak with one another. They may have defendant information or better yet a date, but what format is that date in or what format is a case number in? And and that's where there are some new standards coming out at the the national level, such as the national open court data standards that are attempting to be that Rosetta Stone to say, this is how the the national standard is for defining a case or an event or this kind of thing. So then you go back to all these systems and say, look, I don't need you to translate from the sheriff system to the court system, map to this one Rosetta Stone Everybody knows that. Then there's a translation matrix. And then that data can exchange be exchanged more easily. I mean, Tane, everybody at, wants your data at the end of the day.
1: Absolutely. Tane, at one point, people were pointing out something as simple as last name. In one program was last space name. In one place, it was last underscore name. One place, it was name underscore last. Somebody used a dash or a dot. All the same information, the programs could not communicate that and drag it through and understand without a translation program. But that translation program only dealt with whatever the software the sheriff was using. It wouldn't It wouldn't apply to your sheriff's software or Athens' software, or sheriff's software. It would just be the one software company that Columbia County or Richmond County used. It wouldn't even apply from both Richmond and Columbia. Which are both in the same circuit. So,
2: well, not complicate that further on civil cases when there isn't a person's name and there's business entities. Do you put that in the first name box? Do you put that in the last name box? Do you have right. a different box called business? Um, so,
1: so how are we gonna pay for this, TJ? How we gonna uh, pay for this new fa- fancy schmancy CMS?
2: You can. There's a couple models. You can pay up front or you can pay as you go. Um, sort of the upfront is. You find those thousands or tens of thousands of dollars or sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on how big a system and how many entities are going to be involved in it. Start,
0: start digging under the seat cushions.
2: Just digging under the seat go, cushions. Go, to the
0: sofa, go to the sofa, start digging under the seat of
2: the car. You may have to gather funds over multiple years um, in the form of a capital project and sort of gather those funds up until you have enough. You may look at local appropriations. Um, That's money that's just available on a year-by-year basis. Um, And sometimes you can even use SPLOST, and that's a special purpose local option sales tax, that additional penny that most jurisdictions have. If your project is of a uh, large enough size in dollar amount, it might qualify and meet the, the ability to be considered a SPLOST project. Usually there, you're looking at something that's in the tune of a couple hundred thousand dollars or more. Um, You might look at SPLOSS to initially fund that. Uh, the other option um, is, is floating bonds um, or being part of a bond package with a county um, that will get some money up front to allow you to purchase something. Yeah. We talked about that
1: when we were talking about building a courthouse.
2: It is. Um, I have not seen it often in a bond package. Um, the It can be if it's a large enough. Um, the state of Georgia actually does that sometimes when it purchases software um, when it's something so far-reaching and the dollar amount is high enough, they can float bonds for that uh, and then pay it back. The other option is the pay-as-you-go. That basically, much like the like Office 365, where you pay a monthly or a yearly subscription. Um, a lot of case management systems, especially for smaller courts, are going to that subscription-based model where you pay monthly or yearly.
0: That that reminds me, I need to cancel Spotify Premium. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's just a me thing.
1: I thought that was going to be, I I need to quit the album of a month club. (laughs) KTL records. Remember KTL records? Audible subscription, right? I am
0: so old. Yeah. (laughs)
1: All right. So is there a trend? Is it more often that people are doing the pay as you go or pay up front?
2: It depends on the size of your jurisdiction. Um, A lot of our municipal courts and smaller courts are doing the pay as you go or the subscription. Um, because that may cost them a few thousand dollars a year, $10,000 a year, and they can get appropriations for it. In the case of, of Judge Kell in Cobb County, since that's a, a large county and the system is going to be doing things for not just the clerk's office, but for managing other functions, I think like your public defender system and things like that, um, you know, you're, you're looking to the tune of probably several hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's hard to pay as you go. You're going to have to find the money up front.
0: And in fact, one of the things we're doing, which which is a pretty monumental task, is we're actually integrating state court, superior court, magistrate court, and probate court into the same case management system. And while that's going to be a huge task on the front end and may cause some issues as we go along, what we think is um, it will help us eliminate some problems uh, down the road so that all the systems like Wade was talking about a minute ago can talk to one another.
1: TJ, you have been kind enough to give us a lot of your time, but you've also prepared a really cool uh outline that we're gonna post. Where we're gonna post it, Tane? We're gonna post that on goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. You know, one day we're gonna say something insane when we do this to each other. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, probably so. But yeah, there are also a lot of really good resources in the outline posted on that website um, that TJ has given us, including some links uh, to some other resources that are available out there to talk about case management systems and how you might use them and what some of their capabilities are. So it's really worth checking out.
1: So, TJ, the, the one last piece before we leave this topic and, and wrap up for the day. The actual data entry, I think that sometimes we as judges, because we don't know how to build a house, building a house sounds like a really monumental task because we don't know how to change the brakes. Changing the brakes on your car seems like a real monumental task. And dangerous. Yeah. We, uh, we don't want to do the data entry. We don't want to have have to have humans sitting there and, and clicking through. Is that something it, it, that is done as a part of the the CMS project, are you able to say, look, you're not going. Nobody's going to have to retype that data. We're going to drag it from over here, from this database to that database, or whatever.
2: If you can have those conversations and that planning on the front end um, to be able to pull the data from whoever had the case or the information prior to you, then you minimize some of that data entry. Um, you know, case in point, e filing. Uh, on civil cases. When that is done right and is integrated into your case management system, when the attorneys go in and enter that information about what type of document this is and this, that, and the other, that information could get pulled in and all the clerk is doing, instead of being a data enterer, they are becoming a data validator. So they are looking at the document, the information, checking in on the information that's come across the attorneys have entered verifying it, and then hitting accept. That is a a better role, I think, for our clerks and other folks to be in rather than um, freeform typists. Um, Because when you freeform type, you make errors. Um, And that's when errors can can take over your system um, rather than having the system help you do what you need to do.
1: So, Tane, we are going to be thinking fondly of you as you launch off into your CMS project. Do you have a timetable, Tane?
0: Yeah, we're hoping to have that uh, integrated and up and ready to go uh, by the end of this coming year, by the end of 2021. So um, I don't know that that will include all of the uh, data entry and things that will have to come into the system, but we hope to be using the system uh, by, by that point in time.
1: TJ, is it pretty common for you to have some period of time that you're kind of using both systems, the old and the new?
2: Absolutely. Um, The the size and scale of a project that uh, Judge Kell and his courts are going through, is going to take quite a bit of time just converting the data from old legacy systems into the new one and making sure that the right data went into the right fields. Um, Having done that recently with one of my courts and been a, a partner with them, It is a very time-consuming and frustrating process. Um, So you know, moving from one system to the next takes a lot of effort, a lot of planning, um, having a lot of the right folks at the table that are thoroughly invested in the outcome of the project to make sure that it it happens uh, correctly. But the end result is if you can do that effort on the front end, you have the ability to have good data, and more importantly, clean data that you can query and run reports on so that it can make your job as judges a little bit easier.
1: Folks, we want to thank TJ for showing up and helping us with this again. Again, hit us up at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if you have some ideas, because hopefully we answered our listeners' questions about CMS programs. He can always check out the white paper or the outline episode notes. Where, Tane? At
0: goodjudgepod.com.
1: Folks, TJ, thanks for being here. Thanks for all the DCAs do for us in Superior Court and other courts throughout the throughout our state. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell, stay classy San Diego. Thanks for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This podcast was originally the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, who is the Executive Director of ICJE.
0: Special thanks to the University of Georgia College of Law and specifically to Mr. Jim Henneberger.
1: Thanks to Mr. Steven Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, for editing out as much of our stupidity as he can.
0: But he can't get it all. We are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead NJO, that's New Judge Orientation, for new Superior Court Judges and for their support of this project.
1: The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions of CSCJ, ICJE the UGA College of Law, or anyone else for that matter.
0: These are barely the opinions of Wade Padgett and Tane Kell, so we definitely aren't speaking for anyone else.
1: You can contact us on our website, goodjudgepod.com,
0: or send us an email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com.
1: So Tane, I guess we better bang the gavel on this episode. Anything else you feel like we need to say?
0: Only, most people would say something like, we'll do much better next time, but let's be honest, this is probably as good as it's going to get. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Mint Podcast.